All right, so the scripture says, be still and know that I'm God, and that's Psalm 46.10. If you go to Daniel 11.32, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel... read the book of Daniel in light of knowing God, J.I. Packer in his book, and that's one that we've been sort of talking talking about a little bit. If you read the book of Daniel and with, with the question of how did knowing God impact the behavior of the main players in this book, that's a profound study, and D- Daniel is not a super long book, so you could do that. Most people, when they read Daniel, are intimidated by the prophecy. But if you read this just to study the characters themselves and their response to their understanding of God, it's a very um, encouraging and enlightening. Daniel 11.32 makes a statement. Um, Depending on your translation, and I think I'm going to maybe ask Jessie to read from hers. Jessie, will you read Daniel 11.32? And I think it's going to be the second half. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Uh, what else do you, what other translations do you have? Mine says the people who are loyal to their God will act valiantly. The word there is know, and it means to know personally in such a way that you would have allegiance. So this would be, um, you don't have allegiance to someone that you don't trust. Anybody have a different translation? What do you Shall stand firm and take action. Shall stand firm and take action. What do you have, Nikki? Um, <clears throat> with flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. But the people who know their God will firmly resist the the one who's acting against. Um, So the people who know their God will will be strong and do exploits is another translation. So in Psalm 46, we have this instruction, be still and know that I am God. And we, we mentioned that that conjunction connects stillness to knowing God. And so if we're going to know God, we must first be still. And we know in Romans that we see that reiterated when it says, um, how will they know if they've not heard? And so it also involves listening, right? We would say that from Romans. And then here we see some fruit from knowledge of God. The fruit there is that there will be a loyal response that is active. So first there is stillness long enough to hear. And then there is a listening and there is an understanding. And then there is a response. Then there is action. And I think this is what we see. So the people who know their God will act and they'll act courageously. And of course, if you under, if you know the account of Daniel, we know. Daniel was a pretty courageous, courageous guy, right? What did he do? What's he famous for? Lion's den. Lion's den. Yep. He was okay with being put into a den of lions. Anything else? That he did? He denied that king, right? Yeah, what did he do? He, he, when the king said there was an edict that was sent out that they could worship only the king, and he purposefully stood in front of a window three times a day and prayed, right? But those were, those were latter days. What was the first time that he demonstrated a knowledge of God? 
Do you remember? He had three friends. He said wouldn't bow. Hmm. So I was like the first one. He wouldn't bow. That's Esther. No, I mean, um, Daniel. Are you? Okay. We'll have to go back and read the whole book of Daniel. I know. Yeah. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did they do? This is his friends. Willing to be put in the fiery furnace. Yes. Um, and what about, and that was for the bowing, right? Yeah. Okay. That's where we're going to the bowing. All right. Good. Um, and then the other thing is, what about the eating? Do you remember that? Right. And people call the Daniel fast. We hear about the Daniel fast all the time. This is the early, early days. This is the your age days when they were taken captive and they're brought into this country, and they, they eye up the best-looking of the Israelite young men. They're like, these are the young bucks. These are the ones we want. We're going to train them up. They're going to serve. And Daniel and his friends, instead of falling into the, like, oh, my gosh, look at all this, like, Turkish delight in Narnia. You know, look at all these rich, decadent foods. We're going for all of it. Uh, aren't we lucky? We're the fugitives, the refugees of war who lucked out and landed in the palace. We're just going to live it up. We might as well to take advantage of our terrible circumstances. Instead, they had somehow known their God and they did exploits for him. And they said, we have a different way of eating. Would it be okay if we dishonor the Lord in that? And God blessed them for that. And so Daniel, who later is not afraid to literally go to the lions, um, friends not afraid to go into a fiery furnace because they had already been practicing this, this understanding and application of their knowledge of God. They had done exploits. Um, so I don't say any of that to make us feel guilty and be like, we need to go out and, I don't know, wave some kind of Christian flag and be persecuted so we can say good job, you know, and land in a lion's den of our modern day. I say that to say the fruit of stillness when I challenge you to take one minute a day and sit still with God. The fruit of stillness is exploits for your God. And and what those exploits may be, that, that's going to just depend on what the Lord is doing in, in the area in which he's allowing you to walk. That depends on the works that he has prepared in advance for you personally to walk in. But the fruit of knowing God is exploits. So let's then go to John 17. I want to read this because I think that there's such an interesting connection that often is uh, maybe missed. And it is powerful to me. Go to John 17 and remembering that the Father and the Son are one and that they're, that they're in, intimately connected and interwoven and Christ purpose on earth was to glorify God by completing the works that God had given him to do. We see in verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he looked upward to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Any empowering that comes from the Lord is not for our own personal benefit, but for God's glory. Jesus understood that. Then he says, just as you have given him, your son, authority over all humanity. If we ever wonder if we're a people under authority, we are. So that he, listen why though, God gave him authority over all humanity so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. 
what's eternal life? And he answers the question, now this is eternal life. Because remember, disciples are around him. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I glorify you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Okay. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So we go from be still and know. How will they know unless they hear? And those who do know will do exploits to this. Do you want to know what eternal life is? You want a good life? Like this is what the world promises us, a life. People say he needs to get a life or she needs to get a life, right? We hear that when somebody's, for whatever reason, not doing well. And this is what every podcast and every um, meme and every post Every glimpse that we have on social media, on Pinterest, it's all about offering us a life. From the best recipe for lasagna, you know, on Pinterest, to the best, you know, like home decor bloggers, to Christian podcasts. It's all offering the same thing. But they who know God will do exploits for him. And so... When Jesus says, this is eternal life, you want to know? Do you want clarity so that you can filter through all that? Because there's a lot. There's a lot to filter through. Boy, do we have a lot to filter through. We have more. I I hate to say we have more, but I think we do have more to filter through. In an information age where information comes to us in nanoseconds, in an information age like that, where your textbooks are on your phone, they're on your computer. You don't even have to go to, uh, you know, like an actual bookstore anymore because you're going to order them. They're going to be shipped to you if you do want a hard copy. You could have all three. You could have it on your computer, on your phone, and a hard copy if you want. In an information era where it's so readily available, how do you know what is truly offering you life? And how do you discern that? And how do you fight through the plethora and myriad of false witnesses. And when first John talks about be careful about false witnesses, be careful be careful about false prophets, and we think, well there's no one like that in our midst. Our false prophets is just a digital information era where there is so much coming to us and even the godly Christian who is determined only to follow Christian, you know, bloggers and Christian social media accounts, Christian influencers, it doesn't matter. How do you sift through that? to know God. And if you know Jesus, then you understand eternal life. Why? Because Jesus also made another claim about himself. What did he say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth and life, again, conjunctions, or well, that's actually not a conjunction. I don't know what that is. I don't know what the grammar term for that is when it joins a list of things. It's not a conjunction. I don't think. Is it a conjunction? The word and when it combines a list. Anyway, the point is this. It's a connector. We know that, right? So life and truth are connected. And if we want to truly grasp life, then we must know the truth. And if we want to know the truth, we have to know Jesus. And here's the incredible thing to me is that in knowing God, now we have eternal life. We think about that as like um, a result of death. 
that we're going to live eternally and we want to live eternally with Jesus. So it's a result of, of death and it's the promise of our salvation. We, this is what I want to say to you. Do you want a life? We get that now. The more of God we know, the more of eternal life we experience now. Does that make sense? It's interesting because uh, J.I. Packer talks in his book about that um, knowledge, intimate knowledge. So we're not talking about brain knowledge, data, facts. We're talking about intimate knowledge that I know you well. Um, That is not so much a width as it is a depth. And you could know someone who... You could know someone who has less of a broad knowledge. They're no C.S. Lewis. They're, they're no, you fill in the blank with whoever it is today that you think is just a great, has a great grasp of the knowledge of God. They don't have that vast width. But when you interact with them, you, they glow. But you're like, man, they just love Jesus. They just, you can see it in them. That person has understood that knowing God is simply applying any truth that they get, that they grasp and gain. See, the application of truth is what brings us roots and depth. And this is again why I say to you, take one minute a day to pause and sit still with God, because you are in the information era where I feel like there used to be this video game, and I can't even—I was trying to think which one it was, and it may have been Mario. I can't remember, but things would go. It was like a a belt of um, things that were moving above their head. And it was like, they were all good things. You know, you could grab them and if you got them, you got more things like coins and lot extra lives. And But you had to jump and grasp, jump and grasp, jump and grasp. And so you're up and down, up and down, trying to get these, get these things. And this is how I see us now. You know, like it's all good and it's going past. And if I get this one, I'll get an extra life. And if I get this one, I'll get an extra coin. But it's random. It's helter skelter. It's like, I'll grab at this, I'll grab at that, I'll grab at this. We've got to slow down and say, I'll just take that. I'll wait for that. I'll get it. And then I will take it and I will sit down and I will not release it until it has uh, consumed me, transformed me, until it has taken hold of me. One truth applied is worth a thousand known intellectually. You see what I'm saying? Slow down. Slow down. Don't fall prey to I need to listen to every single podcast. There's too many. It's overwhelming. I feel overwhelmed by the amount of, of incredible teaching that's available to me that I can't lay hold of because I don't have time. That's okay. Just apply the ones you have. Ingest them and let them transform you. And if they've not transformed you, then don't release them yet and don't busy yourself getting another one because that is the business of Satan. Who is a thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy, which is the opposite of life abundant. Those who have known God will do exploits. So when you ingest something and it nourishes you, you have the energy to do what God has called you to do. So we've got to ingest the truth and allow it to, to fill us and transform us. Um, okay. How are we doing? <clears throat> a little sip of my coffee so I can keep going. Let's go to second Corinthians. I'm going to read you a quote from, from old J.I.'s book. And then, uh, 
I can quickly find it. All right, what then does the activity of knowing God involve? Isn't this really the question? What then does the activity of knowing God involve? Holding together the various elements involved in this relationship, as we've sketched it out, we must say that knowing God involves first listening to God's word and receiving it as the Holy Spirit interprets it. Now, this is really not something we hear taught about a lot. Listening to it and receiving it as the Holy Spirit interprets it. It involves a reliance on the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And that's not something that's as trendy in modern in modern evangelicalism today. Listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we're scared. That's mystical and we're afraid of it. All right. In application to oneself. So receiving it as the Holy Spirit interprets it in application to oneself. Second noting, taking note of, observing God's nature and character as his word and works reveal it. Now that sounds simple, but we often take in God's nature and character as we understand it to be through our life experiences. And so when you read the book of Daniel, you look and say, what does this tell me absolutely about God's character. Or Nikki, you said earlier you were focusing on the Lord, my provider, Jehovah Jireh. What does God's word reveal about the Lord as provider? That's a, a way of observing God's nature and character as his word and works reveal it. Third, accepting his invitations. Ha! Huh? Accepting his invitations. This is where the exploits come in. And doing what he commands. So doing what he commands, well, we know the commands are clear. They're in scripture, right? So just doing those commands. And so often, you know, people will say to me, like, I just feel like God wants me to do something. And and my response often is, you know what I think he wants you to do? Just start with making disciples. And when you're doing that, he might show you something new because that's clear in scripture. What does he command in scripture? Do it. And accepting his invitations. Fourth, and I think the accepting of his invitations, that's the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit nudging you. Fourth, recognizing and rejoicing in the love that he has shown in thus approaching us and drawing us into divine fellowship. Um, all right, let me, let, me, let me talk a little bit about this idea of, of accepting his invitations, doing what he commands. When, if you remember um, Joseph... And J.I. Packer mentions him in, in Scripture. Remember the, the account of Joseph? What was his situation? He's part of the brothers that result in the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And he was the favored brother because he was a child of who? You're right, Rachel. Yep, two sisters, Rachel, and Rachel was the preferred wife. He's a child of her, so he's a favored brother. His dad makes him a coat every year a fancy coat and the brothers are jealous and so they throw him into a pit and then they sell him um essentially they slave traffic him they 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 sell him to traffickers which so people talk about trafficking like it's a new thing it's not uh been around forever and terrible um so he's sold into trafficking and eventually he lands in prison 
Joseph ends out going from prison to Pharaoh's prime minister. Wow. He knew God. He did. He knew God. And this is where he lands. Let me read this to you. This again, I'm, I'm reading from J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. Um, you come to realize as you listen that God is actually opening his heart to you, making friends with you and enlisting you as a colleague, a covenant partner. It's a staggering thing, but it is true. The relationship in which sinful human beings know God is one in which God, so to speak, takes them onto his staff to be henceforth his fellow workers and personal friends. The action of God in taking Joseph from prison to Pharaoh's prime minister is a picture of what he does to every Christian. From being Satan's prisoner, you find yourself transferred to a position of trust in the service of God. At once, life is transformed. This is eternal life, that they would know me. So I want us to read just a little bit about what that looks like biblically from the New Testament and go to 2 Corinthians 5 where we opened a minute ago. And so so we will start at verse 1 just to get to gain some context and then carry on. Um, what a what a beautiful letter Paul writes. These first several chapters of 2 Corinthians are just food for the soul. For we know that if our earthly house, the tent we live in, is dismantled, we still have a building from God, a house that is not built by human hands, that is eternal in the heavens. What a thought. I think about those in Haiti and um, earthquakes dismantling homes, and yet, they, he says, we know God, so we know this. Even if we don't have an earthly home, we have a building from God keep in mind too that Paul uses the word tent and he was a tent maker. He made earthly homes, dwellings. Um, but he says, I know about a greater home, a house not built by human hands. That's an etern- that is eternal in the heavens. Verse two, for in this earthly house, we groan because we desire to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, after we have put on our heavenly house, we will not be found naked for we groan while we are in this tent, this tent of the body, since we are weighed down. We can feel weighed down, can't we, by life? Because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This is the hungering of every soul, that what is mortal would be swallowed up by life. And when you sense yourself discontent, and when you sense yourself, even if you have um, mental illness, clinical depression, or or, um, mental illness, ultimately, that is your body physically, chemically, and biologically longing for what is mortal to be swallowed up. So even, um, even if you had cancer, that is your body longing for what is mortal to be swallowed up by life. And then just to go into basic day-to-day things, those moments of discontent, those moments where our marriage is, 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 is struggling, those moments when parenting is hard, those moments when um, accepting the, the phase of our life is hard, accepting singleness is hard, those moments when just just obedience to God is hard, those moments when turning off that TV show because you know it's not from the Lord, these are the moments, these are the moments when we long for what is mortal to be swallowed up by life, and this is life that they would know me. Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, 
who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. You have been prepared, listen, for eternal life. That's His purpose for you. And He gave you the Spirit as a down payment, which is why we have to listen to the Spirit and apply the Spirit's instruction as we read God's Word. Therefore, we are always full of courage. Those who have known God will do exploits. They'll have courage. Therefore, we are always full of courage, and we know that as long as we are alive here on earth, yes, we're absent from the Lord, for we, but we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith that that eternal life is within our grasp and not by the sight of what we see in reality physically, in the physical realm. Thus, we are full of courage and would, be, would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So then, whether we are alive or away, we make it our ambition to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or whether evil. Therefore, therefore, so this is our ambition, that we would please him, that we would walk worthy, that we would do the exploits, that we would walk in response to our understanding of who he is. Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people But we are well known to God, and I hope we are well known to your consciences too. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may be able to answer those who take pride in outward appearance and not what is in the heart. For we are out of our minds, for if we are out of our minds, it is for God. And if we are of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. So when you know someone so well and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are loved by them and that their love is unconditional, irrevocable, and unremovable, then you respond to that. This is the thing that controls him, he says. Since we have concluded this, we have come to the conclusion that his love controls us and that the things that he says are true. We've concluded that Christ died for all and therefore all have died. So he's saying, look, Christ died, and because of that, we're, we're, those of us who are in Christ are dead. We're no longer the same. And he did, died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. Exploits. No longer living for yourself. So then, from now on, we acknowledge no one from an outward human point of view. What a thought. You want to fix your relationships? Don't acknowledge people from an outward point of view. Acknowledge them from an eternal point of view. Even though we have known Christ, again, we have known Christ from such a human point of view, we knew him intimately. Now, we do not know him in that way any longer. He's no longer on earth. He, he was resurrected at that time. So then, if anyone is in Christ, here's that famous verse. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what is new has come. So if you're in, you can't, you can't know Christ intimately without having trusted him. Okay, when you know him intimately, his character is trustworthy and you trust him, which is salvation. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts, salvation is just that, it's trusting. And so when you have trusted him, this is what he's saying, then you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ and you are a new creation, the old has, is gone and the new has come. New life, eternal life. Because you know him. This is eternal life that you would know me. And all these things are from God who reconciled himself, us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
What does it look like to walk in an understanding knowledge of God? We'll, we'll, we will accept his invitations and we'll obey. And, and so when, when we see that Joseph was invited from prisoner to prime minister, he was invited to do exploits on God's behalf, we have been invited into the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them, and he has given us the message of reconciliation. When J.I. Packer says that knowing God is, you come to this understanding that you've been invited as a colleague and a co-worker, a covenant partner. See, knowing God, it results in joining his team, being a part of what he is a part of, being a part of his ambition and his goal and his purpose. We can't sit with God without then joining God. And I think that the, the joining God, the longevity of our joining is intimately connected to the longevity of our being still and knowing. And so if we cannot cultivate the habit of being still and knowing, then we will have a brevity in our doing and in our joining. Does that make sense? And so when we're weary, and we, and you know what? It is assumed that we will be weary because Paul also wrote to the Galatian church and said, do not grow weary in well-doing for in the end you will reap a harvest if you do not give up, Galatians 6, 9, 10. So it is assumed that we will face a weariness. And what did Jesus say? Come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I might take my burden on you because my yoke is easy. Take my yoke on you for my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Knowing God is life. And so if you're heavy, then release what you're doing and sit a while longer. Come to Jesus. So then let me continue. Therefore, okay, let me go back. 19. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. And then listen to verse six, chapter six, verse one. Now, because we are fellow workers, we also urge you to not receive the grace of God in vain. And we could continue. There's such a um, beautiful, the, the whole that whole section of scripture is so good. But that we would not receive the grace of God in vain. When we know God, we understand that we have received the grace of God and that we have not received it in vain. I think that the Christian life is simpler than what some of our great theologians may have implied unintentionally. We don't have to know everything and we don't have to know every doctrine and we don't have to understand every doctrine and we don't have to, to um, you know, be able to articulate ourselves and say, well, I believe this about predestination and I believe this about um, propitiation and I believe and we could go on and we can use all the big words that end in T-I-O-N. But if we have not known him intimately, then we're just... We're just a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And so I think God is reminding me to remind you to slow and and take in and fully ingest. Don't be grabbing up into the sky at whatever truth you can grab for that day and hold it, hold it for long enough to get you to the next moment. 
Get off the escalator. What's that thing? Uh, conveyor belt? That's the word I was trying to think of earlier when I said a belt. Get off of, of, of this whole hamster wheel of motion that is, is, I think, a lie from Satan that the Christian will be on a hamster wheel, moving always, moving always. We're invited into the ministry of reconciliation. We're invited into that. But, but we, are not, we are not invited into chaos. God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order and a God of peace. There is great purpose in our life, but a person who has great purpose, they, they eliminate the things that prevent them from walking in that purpose. And so sometimes for us, that means, you know what? I won't be the most knowledgeable person about every word in Scripture. I'll just be the most obedient to the few that I can understand. Obedience, obedience is, is the outcome of truly understanding and knowing. And so, you know, when I think about this idea of ministry of reconciliation, and for Joseph, that looked like, you know, he, he stored grain. He had this brilliant plan that ended out feeding not just his country, Egypt, great nation, but the surrounding countries and of course we know that ultimately um, his family came to him and they and they were fed and we know that the lineage of Christ comes from from that family and so it was a good thing that Joseph um, landed where he landed and did what he did um, and and so some would say that he did exploits on behalf of the Pharaoh but others would say ultimately God's purposes cannot be thwarted and God's purpose was that all mankind would be redeemed and Christ would come from that lineage and so the exploits that Joseph did were actually on behalf of, of the king of kings, not the pharaoh of the land. Our exploits may not be running a country and creating a, a feeding system that would last through a famine. Our exploits might simply be storing up food within our souls, spiritual food, that we could share with the people that God brings to us. That may be our exploits. Great things are not measured by God in terms of earthly impact. Great things are measured by did it bring someone to eternity. Great things are measured by if the outcome lasts to eternity. Great things are not measured by earthly impact. They're measured by eternal longevity so eliminate the things that have only temporal impact from your life if you need to look for things to to eliminate eliminate those things that you cannot see will will go with you into eternity and sometimes that can be hard sometimes that means you could be and I want to be very practical you could be a size four and healthy and look the best of any of your peers in a swimsuit or you could be a size six and healthy and not not rise above the pack not have everybody saying like oh my word she's hot or you could be a size eight and healthy and and be kind of at the at the the just the average end 
And God would be asking you to be the six or the eight, not the four, because the four is only getting you glory here. Does that make sense? And I say that because I think that we measure, we, we have a hard time. It means, it means you're not going to work out for three hours a day because that three hour a day workout or that two hour a day workout, or for me, that one hour a day workout, like my goal is, man, if I can get 20 minutes of walking in a day right now, praise the Lord. That's what I need for health. Do you see what I'm saying? And so I I don't need an hour and a half workout. I could have an hour and a half workout and people could say, wow, is she ever fit at 45? And that'd be great, but that doesn't go with me to eternity. What will I do with the other hour that I have that I could have dedicated to that? Does that make sense? And so it could be the same with your career. It could be the same with your college degree. That you could have, uh, you could go on for the doctorate or the PhD. You have the mind for it. But will it allow you to to pursue this simple ministry of reconciliation or will it prevent you from that? And I'm not saying it won't. I'm not saying that you won't be the one who that's what God does want you to do. We do need people with doctorates. But what I'm saying is that we measure everything that we allow to remain in our lives by does it allow me to know God and walk in response to that knowledge of him? Does that make sense? We measure everything by that. That's what we do. Everything is measured by that. Um, Okay, we'll, we'll close out.